Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Having fun tonight. Switching it up. Being random being experimental on closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 105.5 FM. com and your iHeartRadio app. Two ways to stream the program. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Brad Omlin produces the show. If you want to catch up on past programs, Spreaker, it's an app that you can download onto your phone, or Spreaker.com. Either way, just do a search in the app or on the page for Closing Argument. You can also find the entire family of Twin Cities News Talk shows at Spreaker.com or on your Spreaker app. So what we've been doing tonight is uh, mixing it up a little bit, being random, being experimental, using the Stumble Upon app to kind of randomize websites on the Internet and then comment on them as we normally would comment on the headlines and the news of the day. Basically challenging myself to have something uh, intelligible and articulate to say on completely random and unrehearsed topics. And I've had fun with it in the first hour. Hopefully you have too. If not, too bad. It's my program. You have an option to not listen to it, but I hope you'll stick around. Let's pick our topic for our next random Web page homeschooling. That sounds interesting. Let's click on that and see where Stumble Upon takes us. A website called This Reading Mama. The headline 50 Hands On Spelling Activities for Phonics and Sight Words. And it goes on to cite uh, a variety of those activities. So there's probably nothing here that's particularly provocative for me to comment on, but I will comment generally on the idea of homeschooling. Homeschooling is something that uh, even though I don't do it myself, uh, we, we, for a variety of reasons, have opted to gamble on the public education system uh, to, to take care of our kids. I fully support, fully support the notion of homeschooling. I have uh, at least one really good friend who homeschools and, and swears by it and uh, has, has uh, good results doing it. I know a number of uh, other folks who do it as well. And I think the the right to do so is, first of all, unquestioned morally, but really deserves and needs to be protected. Because the, one thing that has emerged in recent consideration of uh, headlines regarding Betsy DeVos, uh, who's the uh, Trump pick to run the Department of Education at the federal level, she has taken action to try to protect uh, for-profit colleges. And that has raised the ire of the left because they hate the notion. That this is what they hate specifically. Let's cut right to the chase. They hate the idea that you would have the audacity to believe that you can do or judge how better to educate your children than they can, right? That, that you would have the audacity to assume that you can come up with a better product or service than what they provide through the public system. They, they despise that. They take offense to it. And they want to keep you from being able to act 
on that presumptuous assumption. You know, that uh, I'm trying to think of a particular term that's used whenever somebody in royal authority is off put by the actions of an underling. Um, but, you know, I'm sure you can you can fill in the blank. It'll come to mind to me at the bl- at the uh, on the break. But that's the thing is that there's this this desire to go after homeschoolers because the ex- not just the existence of but the success of homeschooling and homeschoolers presents an existential threat to the status quo. And just think about that for a second. Think about what that implies. The success of parents in educating their children presents a threat to the establishment, a threat to the educational status quo. What does that say about the purpose of the status quo? What does that say about the purpose of the of, of the establishment, of the folks who take offense to the concept of homeschooling and to the success with which homeschooling uh, provides those who engage in it. It's pretty insidious. It's pretty malicious. For you, to, for you to respond in any way to the success of a child being educated other than celebration and applause and affirmation, for you to respond in any other way is a reflection of something profoundly out of sync in your own soul. You know, if you're upset because kids are learning and learning well, they're just not doing it with you, they're doing it at home. If that upsets you, allow me to suggest there is something deeply and profoundly wrong with you and you need help, all right? And yet that's the case, with not just with particular individuals, but institutionally with our public system. And that's something that uh, needs, needs to be called out more often and fought uh, as the real evil that it actually is. All right, let's see what next category we can come up with here. Let's scroll down to one of the the lower, towards the end of the alphabet and see if anything pops up at me. Let's. Well, we already did, uh, I think it was, did we do capitalism? I think we did. Maybe we didn't. But let's click on socialism and see what pops up there. Socialism. We get an article by Albert Einstein, of all people, entitled Why Socialism. Was Einstein a socialist? I was not aware of this. He writes, is it advisable for one who is not an expert on economic and social issues to express views on the subject of socialism? I believe for a number of reasons that it is. Let us first consider the question from the point of view of scientific knowledge. It might appear that there are no essential methodological differences between astronomy and economics. Scientists in both fields attempt to discover laws of general acceptability for a circumscribed group of phenomena in order to make the interconnection of these phenomena as clearly understandable as possible. But in reality, such methodological differences do exist. The discovery of general laws in the field of economics is made difficult by the circumstances that observed economic phenomena are often affected by many factors which are very hard to evaluate separately. In addition, the experience which has accumulated since the beginning of the so-called civilized period of human history has as is well known, been largely influenced by and limited by causes which are by no means exclusively economic in nature. For example, most of the major states of history owed their existence to conquest. The conquering peoples established themselves legally and economically as the privileged class of the conquered country. They seized for themselves a monopoly of the land ownership and appointed a priesthood from among their own ranks. 
The priests, in control of education, made the class division of society into a permanent institution and created a system of values by which the people were thenceforth, to a large extent, unconsciously guided in their social behavior. Now, I'm going to pause right there to note because I... I gather, I, I'm not sure whether this is, and I, I really feel as though I should know where Einstein is going with this if he was, in fact, a socialist. I, I'm, I'm kind of shocked to discover that he, he was, if, in fact, that is the case. But it's interesting here as he describes this kind of generalization of history and the history of the, the rise of nation states that he describes conquering peoples, establishing themselves as a privileged class, and the methodology by which they subjugated the underclass because it flows, ironically, directly from what we just discussed in terms of homeschooling, right? This is what he wrote. Again, they, being the, the privileged class, the conquerors, seized for themselves a monopoly of the land ownership and appointed a priesthood from among their own ranks. The priests, in control of education, made the class division of society into a permanent institution and created a system of values by which the people were thenceforth, to a large extent, unconsciously guided in their social behavior. Is that or is it not a very accurate description of the status quo, right? I mean, who are the priests among us today? Who fills this priest role in our society today? Is it not the educators? Is it not uh, th those in the government-controlled, government-mandated education system from K through 12 up through the, the public college and university system that control the values, unconsciously guide the social behavior of the populace in order to enforce social norms and class distinctions and what have you. This is happening today. And it's also noteworthy, this concept of a monopoly, the, the privileged class having a monopoly on land ownership. How does that play out today, do you think? Is there a monopoly on land ownership? Let, let's, let's ask this question. If you own a house, quote unquote, own a house, do you really own it? Right? If you did, if you did truly own your house, there would be no legal circumstance short of you harming someone else and, and uh, having to indemnify them through the, the adjudication of some tort in civil law. But just generally speaking, all other things uh, being equal, there would be no way for you to lose it, right? Like it's yours. It belongs to you. Nobody could come along and take it. Is that ever, ever truly the case? in the United States of America. Even in the event that you pay off your mortgage in its entirety, right? You, you, you owe nothing on the house. You hold the deed to your house and to the land that it is built upon. It's still not really yours. How do we know this? Well, because in order to stay there, in order to step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. To maintain your quote-unquote ownership, 
you must continue to pay taxes year after year, every year. And if you don't, you'll lose your house. So how can it be said that you truly own it? Allow me to submit that you don't, right? And another way that we know that you don't is that you you can't just do what you want with that house, right? Like if you decide, or and, and that land, that property, if you decide that you want to build a shed in an area of your property that violates the, the setbacks that have been determined by your planning and zoning in your city hall, whatever the case may be, you don't get to do that. You can you can defy the state. You can defy city hall, fight city hall if you want to. But on a long enough uh, timeline, you will eventually be forced to comply in one way or another, which aggravated long enough could result in you, again, losing your home. So how can it be said that you truly own it? So, you know, the thing, even though I, I'm sure that uh, Einstein went on to make uh, several subsequent points regarding socialism, it stands out to me in these opening couple of paragraphs that he just, he when he describes the methodology of a conquering people who are imposing a class structure upon society, that it's actually not a historical description, that it's actually a pretty apt description of where we are today. And that is far, far away from the condition of liberty. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Doing something a little bit different tonight. Experimenting with uh, no prep, no show prep, no knowledge of what it is that I'm going to comment on, just kind of throwing myself out there in front of this broadcast audience with uh, nothing to stand on except my wits and the the, uh, process that I'm utilizing in order to come up with content for the show is this app called Stumble Upon. And if you're not familiar, Stumble Upon is this great way to surf the internet whereby you click a button and you can set it to either be all categories or particular categories and it will generate a random website from somewhere around the web that at least one person has submitted as something worth reading and uh, give you the opportunity to take a look at it. And that's what we've been doing tonight. And I think so far it's been rather interesting. It's uh, certainly random. You never know quite what you're going to get, but we've been able to take even obscure web pages and turn them into something worth talking about. Ooh, here's a category that is bound to be worthwhile. Hedonism. Let's stumble through it. What's going to come up with hedonism? (laughs) An article from Rolling Stone. Of course, that makes absolute sense. This is a comic, a comic from Keith, uh, Keith Richards' Goodnight Spoon. By Rob Sheffield, illustrated by Ward Sutton. I get the feeling that this is probably going to be something that I can't. Yep. As I scroll down, it's pretty clear that it's something I'm not going to be able to effectively describe over the radio. And let me just say, as I'm scrolling through it, that you're lucky I can't because you would not want to be seeing this. Let's click on Stumble again and see what pops up. See, this is the this is the beauty of this technique is that you never know what you're going to find and sometimes it's going to be too crazy to talk about. The next thing that pops up for us is an article from 
a site called Mark and Angel Hack Life. The headline is the 30 most satisfyingly simple pleasures life has to offer. It lists such thing as sleeping in on a rainy day. Yes, that is rather satisfying. Finding money you didn't know you had. Making brief eye contact with someone of the opposite sex. Skinny dipping. Receiving a real letter or package via snail mail. Does that actually, is anybody thrilled by that? I, I think I stopped being thrilled by receiving letters in the mail right about the time I started to get bills, right? Like that's that's about the time that I stopped being enthusiastic about, ooh, what's in the mailbox, right? Like my kid, I still, we, we get the paper on Sunday. And of course, I always am reading the digital version. And so the physical Sunday paper, I always uh, throw on his bed and give him, him something to feel grown up with. Uh, you know, he's only eight years old. Uh, and and he enjoys getting that. He enjoys reading letters. If he ever gets something in the mail, he's really excited about it. But it's not something that typically is pleasurable to grown adults, at, at least not to me. Making a yellow light, they list as a hedonistic pleasure. Yeah, sure, absolutely. Telling a funny or interesting true story. Yep, seeing a friend stumble over himself. Oh, here we get into the, uh, what we call this? Uh, sadistic nature of humankind, always laughing at somebody else's misfortune, hearing the right song at the right moment. Yes, this is all very interesting, but not particularly compelling. Let's try a different category in our stumble upon adventure this evening. Let's go to something more directly politically related. Liberties and rights. That's bound to give us some some meat to chew on. It's a meme with a quote attributed to John F. Kennedy. Quote, I believe in an America where the separation of church and state is absolute, where no Catholic prelate would tell the president, should he be Catholic, how to act, and no Protestant minister would tell his parishioners for whom to vote, where no church or church school is granted any public funds or political preference and where no man is denied public office merely because his religion differs from the president who might appoint him or the people who might elect him. I believe in an America that is officially neither Catholic, Protestant, nor Jewish, where no public official either requests or accepts instructions on public policy from the Pope, the National Council of Churches, or any other ecclesiastical source, where no religious body seeks to impose its will directly or indirectly upon the general populace or the public acts of its official. Now, here's the because I think this is probably a, a fairly common, fairly standard understanding of the alleged separation of church and state. Now, let, let me say at the outset, is there a proper constitutional separation of the church and the state? Yes, absolutely there is. But it doesn't take the form that a lot of secular folk and a lot of liberal folk or leftist, I should say, because, you know, I, I, I like to reserve the word liberal for actual classical liberals. This, the separation of church and state doesn't take the form that is often commonly prescribed, and that's indicated here in this quote from John F. Kennedy. The actual separation of church and state require, in order to understand it, one must understand what it is we're talking about. What are these two things that we're referencing? The church and the state, capital S and capital C. We're talking about institutions of authority. Authority. The state holds civil authority. The church holds ecclesiastical authority. Now, of course, the difference between the two, other, other than one being secular and the other being ecclesiastical, is that 
the state, unlike the church, and this is why the church should be separated from the state, the state has the unique monopolistic control over the use of force in a free society, right? All of the force, all, all of the capacity to legally act in a forceful way is vested in the state. That's what makes it the state. That's the defining characteristic of government. And therefore, the reason why we want to separate the state, capital S, from the church, capital C, because we do not want force to be administered by an ecclesiastical authority. We don't want an imam or a pastor or a pope to be able to send out troops to enforce their worldview upon the rest of us because we believe in the freedom of conscience, the freedom uh, of worship, and the freedom of, of action uh, based upon one's conscience, one's own values. Now, when you recognize that as the true separation of church and state, then there are things which Kennedy says here that become problematic. For instance, he talks about how no Protestant minister would tell his parishioners for whom to vote. Well, if there is, in fact, a actual separation between church and state, meaning the church as an ecclesiastical authority has no capacity to initiate force, including against its own members, then who cares whether a Protestant minister tells his parishioners for whom to vote? They don't have to listen, right? There's nobody twisting their arm, forcing them to act upon that admonishment or that advice. They can defy it without consequence, without legal consequence, without having to face lawful force, and it is therefore appropriate. This idea that in order to maintain the separation of church and state, we must restrict the speech of the ecclesiastical class, of the clergy, is actually antithetical to—it's a—, it's a uh, oxymoron. It's antithetical to the very principle upon which it's it's premised, right? If you have a separation of church and state, you cannot restrict the expression of the clergy. You cannot tell a Protestant minister that he cannot in turn tell his parishioners for whom to vote. Of course he can. That is his freedom of conscience. That is his freedom of speech. That is his freedom of worship all wrapped up into one. He gets to do that, and we don't get to tell him he can't. Right. Uh, another example here from Kennedy, he describes the condition of the separation of church and state as one where no church or church school is granted any public funds or political preference and where no man is denied public office. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.
entirely because his religion differs uh, from the president who might appoint him. Now, of course, with the latter one, that makes absolute sense. People should not be denied public office based upon their religious affiliation. But as for that first one, the idea that no church or church school is granted any public funds, first of all, let's just cut to the chase. There's only one way that you're going to be able to manifest that. Only one way. And that's to not subsidize anything at all. To the extent that government spends any money whatsoever on things and services which exceed its mandate of protecting individual rights, things like education, things like roads to get super libertarian on you, to the extent that government spends any money at all on items and programs which are not directly tied into its one rightful role of protecting individual rights, it is subsidizing religion. It's also subsidizing atheism, and it's also subsidizing every other form of thought and every other way of life that exists in the country at any given time, because money is fungible. You, you, can't, you can't fund the road that runs past the church, which people utilize in order to get to church, and somehow argue that you're not funding the church. You are. Right, Because everyone benefits from these things that government spends money on. So again, this is a false distinction. And what it does is it just acts as a premise to, to single out religious institutions, religious individuals, and religious communities for specific discriminatory action in the public sphere. And we saw that play out recently uh, with the Supreme Court case. I forget. I think it was Trinity Lutheran was the name of the case, whereby a religious school was a, was qualified for a grant that they would have used the money in order to resurface or remake their playground, and they were sued or the government was sued under the idea that under basically what Kennedy is saying here that no ed or religious institution or religious school should receive public funds even for something like building a playground. And where the justices came down, I, I think rightfully so, within the scope that they were working, is that, no, you, you can't argue that the utilization of public funds for the purpose for which those funds was committed, which is capital improvements and educational facilities, can't that those funds can't be granted to a religious school when they're being utilized for a non-religious purpose. Right now, I I say it's a good ruling. It's a good ruling in the sense that the school wasn't discriminated against, but it's also a bad ruling in the sense that it attempts to draw some distinction between religious use and non-religious use. Again, building the road that goes past the school is a subsidy of the school. Right, like building any sort of service, keeping the lights on in a government-run utility is a subsidy for that religious institution. So there's no getting around it. If you're going to give them money or allow them to benefit from anything that is publicly funded, then you're subsidizing them. So this is a false distinction. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. So we've had some hits and some misses in our experimental approach to conservative talk radio tonight. That's to be expected when you try something that you've never tried before and you do it over the air on the radio without any preparation or real plan. But uh, I hope you've been enjoying it regardless. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. Two ways to stream the program. 
Brad Olman produces this show. We're on 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you joining us. You can catch up on the podcast by downloading the Spreaker app or going to Spreaker.com, doing a search for closing arguments. So what we've been doing tonight is we've been randomizing the topics and our mechanism for randomizing the topics has been this app called StumbleUpon, which brings up random websites from the internet and you can choose which category it is that you are going to to get a random website from. And it works really well, as we've discovered this evening, when it pulls up an article or a meme or something with text that expresses an idea. Every once in a while, though, you end up with uh, like a top 10 list of recipes or something or, or a YouTube video that isn't very conducive to radio. So we're just kind of we're rolling the dice, folks, and uh, I will try to speed through anything that doesn't work for our format and move on to something that does. Uh, when, when, when we have landed on something that's worth talking about, I've really enjoyed digging into it, and hopefully you have found uh, some value in my opinions. Let's do a stumble on philosophy, the category of philosophy, and see what pops up. Four practical philosophies that will empower you. Well, this should be interesting. Philosophy, and this is the website is High Existence. Philosophy is a fascinating branch of wisdom. However, these esoteric ideas are sometimes difficult to translate into practical application. What are all those thoughts, suppositions, and theories actually good for? How can an understanding of philosophy ultimately help you lead a better life? Today, I want to examine with you four philosophical ideas that have influenced my life in a very positive way, this author writes. With the right, with the right twists, I'll be able to show you that they are indeed empowering. Let's go. And of course, the first one he cites, number one, is Friedrich Nietzsche. Eternal recurrence. The idea, several times throughout his works, Nietzsche talks about the thought experiment of eternal recurrence. Aphorism 341 of the gay science goes like this, quote, What if some day or night a demon were to steal after you into your loneliest loneliness and say to you, This life as you now live it and have lived it, you will have to live once more and innumerable times more, and there will be nothing new in it. But every pain and every joy and every thought and sigh and everything unutterably small or great in your life will will have to return to you, all in the same succession and sequence. Even this spider and this moonlight between the trees and even this moment and I myself, the eternal hourglass of existence is turned upside down again and again, and you with it, speck of dust, would you not throw yourself down and gnash your teeth and curse the demon who spoke thus? Or have you once experienced a tremendous moment when you would have answered him, you are a god and never have I heard anything more divine. If this thought gained possession of you, it would change you as you are or perhaps crush you. The question in each and everything, do you desire this once more and innumerable times more, would lie upon your actions as the greatest weight? Or how well disposed would you have to become to yourself and to life to crave nothing more fervently than this ultimate eternal confirmation and seal? Unquote. Now, the author at High Existence continues, uh, riffing off of Nietzsche here. Does the idea of re eternal recurrence, that every moment of your life will repeat itself into eternity, leave you shivering with fear or with joy? Whether you are living life fully every day or just waiting for better times to come. Let us take a look at the possible consequences of Nietzsche's idea. 
Let's also assume that the life you are currently living is not simply one of the repetitions, but is actually your first time around. This means that every moment that passes will be set in stone and repeat itself eternally. How does that sound to you? If you are a common man, Nietzsche predicted that this would be the heaviest possible burden. On the other hand, he believed human greatness is achieved when you don't want anything to be different, past, present, or future. When you accept and love the present moment, you have won. Practically speaking, Nietzsche is then suggesting that you choose the best action at every moment and always ask yourself whether what you are doing right now really is the best you could be doing. If you follow his advice and always act according to this knowledge, I'll bet that you will have a life worth reliving. Well, isn't that just a bunch of hunk of garbage? Each and every word of it. Yeah, you know, th- this is what the vast majority of philosophy, the idea, the word philosophy and the idea of philosophy can be intimidating to people who haven't spent a lot of time considering it or thinking about it. But let me let me demystify it for you, okay? Let, let me bring it down to a level that is not intimidating at all. What you need to know going into your consideration of random philosophies is that the overwhelming majority of them are complete garbage. The overwhelming majority. The vast majority of things said by the great thinkers throughout time have been utter and complete nonsense, even nonsense on stilts, right? It's utter garbage. And this is a prime example. This entire mental exercise is predicated on a premise that, first of all, isn't true, okay? Like, unless you have some religious belief in reincarnation, then I suppose it might be relevant to you. But to the rest of us, This isn't a premise upon which we ought to be basing anything at all because it's a imagined idea. It's a dream, right? And and there's no real practical. What's the practical utility of trying to live your life in such a way that you want to relive every moment of it again and again and again and again? What kind of what kind of person are you going to be if that's indeed what you believe? And And in the context of Nietzsche's other prescriptions, for how we ought to live our lives and how the world ought to be structured and the importance of, of the will and the dominance of, uh, of, of man over the world in which he lives. You know, lest we forget that Nietzsche was the favorite philosopher of one Adolf Hitler, right? And it's easy to understand because Hitler's, in, Hitler's entire worldview was based upon this notion of projecting his will into the world you know, and, and living fully as, as a... Uh, incontestable Superman who was above it all and uh, worthy of all. And it was ultimately rooted in feeling and passion and not rationality. This is something that uh, ought to be utterly rejected. So there you go. There's your random philosophy spiel for the day. Ooh, conspiracies. That's a nice category to do a stumble on. Let's see what pops up. Truthseekerdaily.com. Boy, doesn't that just sound like a URL that's full of trustworthy and uh, valuable information. 166 documentaries to expand your consciousness. Yes, another list that will be quite valuable to our discussion as we go forward. And I'm being 100% sarcastic. How about guns? Let's click on guns as a category and see what pops up. Need-based gun ownership. That's a headline at a website called Wing tactical it was written earlier this year as a gun owner they write you have practical reasons and motivations for owning a firearm 
Uh, well, that's a, a great tease. Let's go to break and we'll come back with this, which I know violates my going into it without preparation rule, but I just realized that we're out of time. So closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. We've made it. We've made it to our last segment of the evening in this experimental attempt to just randomize our content here on Closing Argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. 9 to 11 weeknights is when you can catch us generally, and uh, we always appreciate you tuning in. What I've been doing tonight is just looking at random websites utilizing an app called StumbleUpon and sort of challenging myself to have something articulate to say on a completely random topic. There are categories that you can choose, and the last one we chose and uh, came up with something that I didn't have time in the last segment to go over was guns. And the article at a website called Wing Tactical is need-based gun ownership. And I swear to you, on my honor, that I did not read any further and I'm therefore just as unprepared for what follows as I was in the last segment. So let's back up just a little bit, just that first paragraph, one sentence long. As a gun owner, you have practical reasons and motivations for owning a firearm. Based on recent customer segmentation and buyer persona analysis, need-based gun ownership can also be identified as common sense gun ownership. You adhere strictly to all the current regulations concerning possession, transportation, and safety. Understanding the who and why of the need-based gun ownership demographic means individuals who are unfamiliar with the gun market can understand the value of owning a firearm. It also means manufacturers can better tailor products to meet their customers' needs. And then there's a graphic here talking about uh, needs-based gun ownership stats. Um, the collector, which represents, I'm guessing here, 8% of the gun-owning population is what they're trying to indicate, is a hobbyist, primarily male, who enjoys collecting an array of firearms and occasionally hunts for sport. I certainly know a person or two who fits that category. The social shooter is also another 8% of the, of the market, an individual who finds an interest in spending time with his or her firearms alongside his or her friends. 11%, which is much less than I would have imagined, are hunters, an outdoorsy individual who owns firearms for hunting and is not concerned with the concealability of his or her firearm. 12%, which beats out hunters by just a percentage, is skills builder, not an outdoorsy individual but enjoys being proficient in handling the firearms they possess. 15%, which trumps everything uh, before it to this point, Debbie Defense, a distinction of a protector in all female sector who is focused on protecting herself in and outside of the home with a concealed and lightweight firearm. How about that? 15% of the gun market is women who conceal for self-defense. Another 15%, Guardian Gary, a distinction of a protector in all male sector on the home front and who is more interested in technology and in analytical items than recreational shooting. So there, there's your, your gender equality, an equal number of uh, male protectors and female protectors out there with conceal and carry and uh, home defense. A 4% category, which is by far the smallest of the market, an individual with price-conscious values, this is urban recruits, an individual with price-conscious values and who looks for a firearm with versatility in order for protection, that's an understandably small segment, and the biggest segment of all, 26% 
of the gun owner need-based market is classified as the protector, a family-oriented individual who does not consider himself or herself as an outdoorsy person, but has the full intention to buy a firearm for safety purchases. Well, isn't that fascinating? So there you go. The, the the majority, especially if you combine the, what is it, the protector, the guardian Gary, and the Debbie defense types, um, that the vast majority of people who, or at least in terms of how the, the categories are broken down, the, the largest collective category are those folks who own for self-defense, which I suppose makes sense. I'm not sure what I would have guessed. I, I, I probably would have guessed uh, hunting would have been the big uh, purpose in a lot of gun ownership. But I suppose on second thought that self-defense is the most logical purpose for owning a gun. So let's see what other category. This might be the last thing we we pull up, the last category we choose tonight in our Stumble Upon Challenge. Let's go with psychology. That's sure to pull up something interesting. You are not so smart. A Celebration of Self-Delusion. That's the name of the website that we're getting this article from. The article is The Just Word Fallacy. The misconception is that people who are losing at the game of life must have done something to deserve it. The truth is that the beneficiaries of good fortune often do nothing to earn it, and bad people often get away with their actions without consequences. A woman goes out to a club wearing stilettos and a miniskirt with no underwear. She gets pretty drunk and stumbles home in the wrong direction. She ends up lost in a bad neighborhood. She gets raped. Is she to blame in some way? Was this her fault? Was she asking for it? People often say yes to all three in studies asking similar questions after presenting similar scenarios. It is common in fiction for the bad guys to lose and the good guys to win. It is how you would like to see the world, just and fair. In psychology, the tendency to believe this is how the real world actually works is a known cognitive bias called the just world fallacy. I misstated it previously. It's not the just word fallacy. It's the just world fallacy. More specifically, this Bias is a lens through which you tend to see the world, and seeing things in this way often leads to a predictable reaction to horrible misfortune like homelessness or drug addiction. Believing that people stuck in horrible situations must have done something to deserve it. The key word there is deserve. This is not an observation. Uh, Bad choices lead to bad outcomes. In a 1966 study by Melvin Lerner and Carolyn Simmons, 72 women watched a woman solve problems and get electric shocks when she messed up. The woman was actually pretending, but the people watching didn't know this. Lerner based these studies on the things he had seen working with the mentally ill. He noticed how he and other doctors, nurses, and orderlies would sometimes insult people who were suffering or come up with assumptions about what kind of people they were or joke about their illness. Lerner thought this behavior might be an attempt to protect the psyche of people facing an abysmal, unrelenting amount of misery and despair. In his study, when asked to describe the woman getting shocked, many of the observers devalued her. They berated her character and her appearance, so on and so forth. So, you know, in the very short amount of time we have here to react to this concept of the just world fallacy, is this a problem in our society? Absolutely. You know, the notion that bad things only happen to bad people and good things only happen to good people. It's pretty easily disproven by our own life experience if we take the time to apply any sort of rational analysis to that experience. Uh, but, but this is what I would say, you know, that, that the danger here in citing and evoking the just world fallacy is that you you can start to 
err in the other direction, which is assuming that there is nothing to be gained by analyzing the specific behaviors and personal choices that people make, and that there, there is no value in evaluating whether or not there, certain choices are better than others. Even though you know random bad things may happen to good people and random good things may happen to bad people, it is nonetheless vital that we, may, we inform our choices with a, a sense of b- both what's morally right and wrong and also what's prudent. Prudence is an undervalued quality in today's society, and it needs to make a comeback. Closing argument, my name's Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.